welcome to the Dietitian Connection podcast, a show about nutrition, dietitians, and their success stories. This podcast, hosted by Kate Agnew and Marie Ferguson, will empower you to realize your professional dreams by giving you access to our global community of dietitians. Through our conversations with nutrition leaders, we'll educate you, inspire you, and help you create more impact as a dietitian. Welcome to another Dietitian Connection podcast. My name is Marie Ferguson and I'm the director and founder of Dietitian Connection. I'd like to begin today by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which we meet today. And I'd also like to pay my respect to elders past and present. And it's my great pleasure today to be hosting Tracy Hardy for this episode of Dietitian Connection podcast. Tracy's an accredited practicing dietitian, one of approximately 20 Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander dietitians in, and founder of Wattle Seed Nutrition. Tracy's very passionate about food security for First Nations peoples. And in this episode, we talk about Tracy's story, her passion and her work with the First Nations people. So welcome and thank you so much for joining us, Tracy. Thanks, Marie. Pleasure to be here. So I thought we could start by you telling us why you decided to become a dietitian. I know there's a story around why you chose to become a dietitian. Yes, uh, it, bit of a bit of a story there. Uh, so I, I was sort of fortunate enough to grow up on my non-Indigenous grandfather's property and my mum was very much, you know, out of town. Mum was very much paddock to food, paddock to plate sort of experience. So I grew up understanding and appreciating a lot where my food came from. Um, my grandfather was always quite adventurous with foods as well. So we, you know, we're grown, you know, brought up with yellow belly, you know, you could use varieties of burrs that were like spinach and pigeons and kangaroo, all that sort of thing. So he was quite adventurous with that. It was as a kid though, you never quite at quite fully appreciate it because you're always a bit skittish about what you're actually going to be eating. But, you know, now I reflect on it. I'm quite grateful to have had that experience. Um, and I suppose later in life is when I decided to go down the path of studying nutrition and dietetics. And that was a number of reasons I think was behind that. Um, I did have a grandfather who passed away from uh, preventable diabetes-related conditions, uh, complications, and that was as a result of not, him not accessing the care he, he needed to be able to manage that. Um, and I developed an eating disorder at 19 when my father was killed in a car accident, and then at um, probably 34, I think it was, um, 35, gosh, just I blocked that out. About 10 years ago anyway, I, I discovered I had a tumour on my right kidney and it was uh, renal cancer and so I had to have that removed. So, um, you know, I've had an auntie tell me at some point after all this that my ancestors were always trying to lead me down this path of learning and studying about food and nutrition and health and our culture, etc. And I was always too stubborn apparently to listen to it. So they said, so I think this is a really very pointed way that they pointed me in that direction. And um, yeah, so I ended up studying it. And, but I it, the really, the, I think the point really that made the decision because it was after I'd had the cancer, I was still getting back into learning about, you know, how I could feel my body to keep it strong and healthy, as well as for my daughter as well, because she was, you know, very young. Uh, and I had a friend and we were having a debate and it was around the time that that 
Coney propaganda was happening and everyone was spending $20 on a piece of red string for a cause that was overseas and I was having a little bit of a ranty pants moment mm. and saying you know why is everyone so willing to put their hands in their pocket for something that's happening overseas this is before it was discovered it was a scam mm. um when we've got you know first nations peoples in Australia who haven't got enough food to eat and are living in third world conditions and you know her response to that was what are you doing about it so next thing you know I'm enrolling in my nutrition and dietetics degree <laughs> and you did that on the Sunshine Coast. Yes, yeah, yes. I started yeah. studying up here on the Sunshine Coast. I was very lucky to have something, you know, that university nearby. So I didn't have to move or anything like that. So mm. it was really good. And what was that experience like studying to become a dietitian? Um, it was interesting. <laughs> I remember my first lecture I went to was chemistry. And, you know, I hadn't, I went in I was 39. I hadn't, I didn't remember doing chemistry, I think since grade 10 at high school. And I was learning about co you know, covalent bonds and all these chemical structures and everything like that. And I'm sitting there going, well, where do we learn about the green smoothies? Um, so it was a bit of a rude shock to the system. Uh, however, as we sort of progressed, I really, I was loving, I loved enjoying learning about what happened in our bodies, you know, the science of how everything's connected and how amazing our bodies are. And so I really enjoyed that aspect of it. It was really mm. exciting. So I really got into it. Mm. And so clearly you were destined to become a dietitian, but obviously it was a second career for you. What were you doing before that? <laughs> what wasn't I doing more likely? <laughs> so, uh, you know, as I said, I joined, uh, started studying quite late. And, you know, prior to that, I my uh, career was in various areas such as marketing. I worked in marketing for St. Vincent's Hospital as well as Heritage Building Society. Um, I worked as a travel consultant for Flight Centre. I was a sales team manager at UE Insurance when it first started up as well. And I was also a beauty therapist. So I managed a girlfriend's salon, the one that actually I was having the debate with. And I actually um, had my own business as well, which is what supported me through my university degree, to be honest, because I mm. set up a home business. And um, with that, I was able to, yeah, go through and study, um, started, put myself through university. Mm. And I'm really grateful for all those experiences, though, because I think you, with most of those, you really, all of those careers, you kind of have to understand people's needs and how to listen and how to meet those needs. And I think those skills that I learned throughout helped me to be able to have a conversation with all walks of life from CEOs to federal ministers to community members to families, school teachers, etc. And so I, I'm really, really grateful for that and to be able to actively and listen deeply to people's needs so I can then work out best for how to meet them. Hmm. I was going to ask you, what, what do you think your previous careers, you know, you could bring into dietetics, but yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, almost everything is about people, isn't it? And absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think as a beauty therapist, more so than anything, it becomes almost like a confessional box because mm -hmm. you hear all sorts of things and you sometimes looking after people who are in uncomfortable positions mm -hmm. and you're really having to make them feel comfortable with you and trust you to be able to do that. So uh, that is something that's really important with what we do, you know, as dietitians, whether it's one-on-one -on -one or, you know, meeting with a community group or organisation with what their needs are and what they need to have. They need to have that trust with you. So 
I've, you know, I'm really grateful for those skills to be able to read that and mm. have enabled people to feel comfortable and safe. Mm. Mm. And then, so when you graduated as a dietitian, did you begin Waddle Seed Nutrition straight away or did you do some other things first? Um, well, I literally finished my last assessment at USC and got into my car and drove down to Brisbane to start orientation for my role with the Institute for Urban Indigenous mm -hmm. Health. So I worked for IUE, it's, that's their acronym for it. I worked for IUE part-time, um, both doing clinical one-on-one -on -one consultations, but we did a lot of health promotion work too with their Work It Out program. So we did that. I worked at Deception Bay and Margate and Moray Field, but I also did work up at um, Rockhampton and Bundaberg and Sherberg. And I loved it. I really loved, especially loved doing the outreach work and um, meeting with people in other communities and with the Work It Out program, being able to sort of share knowledge both ways and learn a lot from that too, because with everything I did, I was always integrating our bush foods and uh, had that as well. And so I learned as much as the clients learned. So it was a two-way learning. Mm. Uh, but I did start my business at the same time. So um, I had that based on the Sunshine Coast where mm. I worked with the local Aboriginal medical service and uh, looking at, did offering one-on-one -on -one consultations as well as some um, health promotion programs as well. Hmm. So tell us a little bit more about Waddle Seed Nutrition and, um, you know, why you started it and, and what your role looks like there. Yeah, what doesn't it look like? It's, yeah. <laughs> it's evolved quite a lot this year, I must admit, mm -hmm. um, which is exciting. Uh, so I really wanted, I love having my own business because I love the freedom and the creativity I can have with having, what you know, being able to achieve the vision that I have mm -hmm. of being able to work with and for community and you know helping them self-determine their health and well-being um and their food systems and their foods um uh, so with my business i could sort of like uh, reframe a lot of what we were taught at university in a way that's more tr translatable applicable and appropriate and relatable mm -hmm. to uh, my clients and my communities mm -hmm. that i work with mm -hmm. so yeah I, at the moment I've actually just recently put on a subcontractor who's yeah. also an, another Aboriginal dietitian, which yeah, I'm congrats. very excited about. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so her name's Jenna and she's finished university at the end of last year. And I'm very excited to have Jenna on the team. I've known Jenna since she was at university and I introduced her to the Indigenous Allied Health Australia family. And mm -hmm. um, so I've seen her journey through all that as well. And she's a mentee of mine. So mm -hmm. I'm very thrilled to have Jenna on the team. So Jenna's going to be picking up more of the one-on-one -on -one consultation work and more sort of condition-specific workshops, um, whereas I, that then frees me up to do the research and development on these unique programs that I'm developing at the moment. Mm, that's so exciting to be able to support it is. another younger. I know. It's, yeah. I'm so thrilled. It's a yeah. dream of mine to have like a health hub, you know, where, where it's mob working for mob, you know, mm -hmm. and with mob. It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's, 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 so this is just one little step towards that direction because it's really empowering and I would love to see more, um, you know, of our students coming through and to be able to, for them to see us in these positions so they can sort of know that we work within this space and they mm -hmm. can too. Mm -hmm. So it's really good. Um, and I've 
recently uh, I've put in my two first two grant applications I've ever done this year, one on the Sunshine Coast and one on the Morning Peninsula in Melbourne. And both of them were accepted, which Ooh, is exciting. Wow. Um, so we're developing some programs, which is um, integrating nutrition science with bush foods and healing practices um, and delivering them in, in sort of um, Aboriginal way. So it's mm. not that usual didactic sort of form of delivery. It's more of a, you know, um, mm. Aboriginal's way of learning and experiencing the learning. So that's mm. exciting. And we um, also just got another contract to develop a program for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander um, girls in high school, um, integrating our traditional knowledges and science and gut health. So gut health is a big passion of mine and mm. how that influences how health and well-being uh, as a holistic mm. way of looking at it. So to be able to do that's exciting and doing some newsletters as well for the same group of people that we've got that contract for, for mm. the students too. So it's really exciting this next couple of months. So is your situation quite unique, I would imagine? Is there other people doing the kind of work that you do? Uh, I don't think so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, it is quite unique, and but that's exciting. And, you know, it, one of the things that I'm doing with some of these programs and these grants that I've got is being able to pilot these programs and sort of, you know, put it into place and communicate with the communities that I'm working with because they're both diff very different communities and ensuring that, you know, it's applicable for both communities and getting their feedback back on it and sort of because I've got a bit of research background as well, I can sort of do the um, evaluation of the programs and hopefully get something published then uh, for other people to use as an example to maybe um, use in their programs. So mm -hmm. it's because most of the most of the programs that have been designed, I suppose, to date uh, within, you know, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander nutrition or food security space is sort of designed through a non-Indigenous lens predominantly, mm -hmm. which is fine, but this is kind of like coming in with another layer on top of that and seeing mm. how that looks and, mm. you know, um, learning from it, I suppose, and sharing mm. that learning with everybody else. Yeah. So you obviously have a passion for research as well, Tracy. Can you tell me a little bit about how you became to be in love with research as well? Yes. Uh, look, I think my research interest started while I was at university. Uh, you know, I was reading a lot of research when we were, you know, to inform our studies and how we were, you know, going to do practice in the future, etc. And I actually did an embedded honours as part of my uh, undergraduate degree where I researched the cultural safety of a chronic disease self-management program for Aboriginal and or Torres Strait Islander people in the Gympie region. So I saw that, you know, while I was at university and that we were taught that we had to do things with based on best evidence and practice, I saw that a lot of the evidence that was informing um, us as practitioners was, draw, you know, drawing from predominantly a non-Indigenous lens and that there was a gap that needed to, um, to be added to. So I've always said that, you know, knowledge is power. So to, in order for people to make really well-informed decisions about their practices or programs, you know, to have another voice or another lens within that body of evidence, I think would be empowering for both practitioners and the communities they're working for. Mm. 
And I know you've currently sort of taken leave from your PhD and you're focusing more on your community-based projects and community-based work. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about what you're doing there? Obviously, you've got quite a few grants happening. <laughs> yes. Uh, look, I, I finished up and took leave from the PhD extended leave from the PhD in February and uh, I was lucky enough to uh, get a contract first up where I was involved in the working party uh, or the working group I suppose that established the First Nations Bush Food and Botanicals Alliance in Australia so they are all about you know how to protect the intellectual pro property uh, traditional ecological knowledges and access and sovereignty of their bush foods and botanicals and uh, medicines industry at the moment because within that in, within that space there's only well the last reported was um, only about two percent of the $20 million industry is um, represented by First Nations communities. So they're trying to sort of um, advocate for better practices within that space. So it's a bit more um, safe and that knowledges are protected and, you know, there's a bit more transparency and benefit going back to communities. So mm. I did the research and um, presented on the various governance structures that body could use and follow. Um, yeah. And yeah, as I said, like most of the work I've been doing there and since, leaving the PhD has been doing community-based um, workshops and programs, um, the occasional one-on-one. -on -one. Um, Jen is going to pick that up a little bit more. But, yeah, I have been focusing more on developing programs and workshops and even resources. So I developed some resources during COVID for um, community over in Port Hedland. So it's mm. all across Australia at the moment. Mm. I was just going to ask you, uh, we are recording this in the middle of COVID-19. Has your life or your work changed in any way during this period? Well, it's really interesting. You know, I was very nervous when, you know, because it wasn't long after I'd finished the PhD, which came with a scholarship that I was took the leap of faith into my business and then COVID hit and I was very anxious initially, but it's really um, actually opened up a lot more opportunity um, and a lot more access. So people... Um, you know, I, I have quite a lot of networks across Australia within the bush food and in, uh, industry as well as within the Indigenous business enterprise space. Mm. So a lot of people who normally wouldn't have access to dietitian, you know, mm. either they didn't have the time or they didn't, you know, have the didn't feel safe to or whatever, um, they were actually contacting me because we then had telehealth came about, come about. So they were contacting me to actually access um, dietetic care for the first time, which mm. was really amazing. And, mm. you know, it's care that they needed, uh, yet they hadn't accessed it. So it's increased that accessibility within mm. communities across Australia. And I've actually been able to have a broader reach with the programs I've been delivering as well because of Zoom and virtual workshops. So mm. it's been it's been amazing because it's actually opened a lot more um, relationships and developed a lot more relationships with people that probably would have taken a lot longer to do yeah. because we have this beautiful thing called technology now, which we've yeah. been forced to learn. It's been great. That's great. It's so nice to hear the silver linings that have come out of all of this. So I'm, I'm yeah. glad that's really opened up a new world for a lot of people out there in your community. Absolutely. Yeah, it's absolutely correct. And I know mm. that there's been a lot of push because I'm involved with um, Indigenous Allied Health Australia's COVID advisory committee. And I know mm. that there's a, a big push because of that, you know, um, positive impact having access to telehealth mm. services has had. Yeah. 
and the importance of it. And so hopefully that will continue down the track after it's after September. Yeah, we really need it to continue. And I know Dietitians Absolutely. Australia is working on that. So that'll be fabulous. Yes, yes. fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah. Now I know there's, a, a, if I have the number correct, about 20 Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander dietitians in Australia. Is that right? Yeah, so there's about 30, but I oh, think 30? to my memory, there's around only around 20 who are actually accredited. So okay. some are retired, some are students, and to my knowledge, it's roughly around 20 that are actually accredited. Okay. And it's great you're being able to um, support some younger dietitians such as Jenna. What else can we mm-hmm. do to support more Aboriginal and, Tra- and or Torres Strait Islander people to, you know, consider dietetics as a career, do you think? Yeah, well, look, you know, it's interesting. Um, so... I've I've attended a uh, high school careers day. So it was at St. Columban's in um, Caboolture and they actually had put together an uh, Indigenous-specific uh, careers day for all the kids coming around. We had, there was over 100 kids there um, from about, I don't know, I can't remember how many schools, but it was quite a number of schools that came and sat in and they had people presenting from all different sort of professions. Um, and I was invited to, to come along and speak about what's involved with nutrition and, and what's involved as a, either a nutritionist or a dietitian and what impact you can have and, you know, that, sometimes like I don't know how it is for kids these days but when I grew up I grew up in a small remote town and studying something like this was something that I was never encouraged to do because it was um you know back in the time where a lot of stereotypes were quite deeply entrenched Mm -hmm. and it was just not something that was something that I was going to be thought or encouraged to do so Mm -hmm. I think to open up that as an opportunity for our students to actually know they can do it and that there's support mechanisms in place um, and the impact they can have on community is quite empowering. And so as dietitians, you know, familiarising yourself with your university and maybe introducing yourself to the Indigenous Services Unit at the university as well and sort of... um, going to your schools in the community and asking about the careers day, it might be an opportunity to sort of um, have a bit of cross-cultural communication there where you're supporting both, sort of knowing and understanding what the community, uh, what the university offers, and then you can translate that to the students when you go in as well. Mm. And, what would and be- also I think, mm-hmm. supposed is sorry, yeah. I think also just ensuring that we are showing that we are working to provide a culturally safe and in, appropriate and inviting environment as a discipline too. And how can we best do that, Tracy? <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, look, look, I'm not, uh, as I said, I'm not an expert. I can only go by my experience, but mm. there's lots and lots of resources I think that people can access. I know that, so I'm on the DA's um, Reconciliation um, Action Plan Working Group, as well as their Indigenous Nutrition Interest Group leadership mm. team and we have worked to put together some cultural safety um, online training options for people to access to develop their own understanding because I know that when I was in university we were required to do a cultural competency tick and flick thing when I'm in Queensland so it was like a tick and flick thing that you had to go to to go into work in hospitals but it's like it was a quick sh- short thing and you know, that doesn't make you competent because when Mm. you're competent, it implies that you don't have to do any more work. Mm -hmm. Whereas to be culturally safe and 
have cultural humility, it's an ongoing process, an ongoing, it's a lifelong process and it's a reflective process. So these programs that we've put um, on there for people to access is to sort of help um, highlight that and provide that information. And when, you know, things are open up again, you can do face-to-face. There's lots of... um, programs that you can do that are, um, you know, face to face. And I would just encourage that when you are just to do the research and find out that they are being led by, you know, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people so that you're actually getting that information firsthand um, rather than an interpretation of, of it would be. So mm. that's something. And I think also with doing that, it's understanding and overcoming those stereotypes that to work with Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander people that you have to work in discrete or remote communities because, in fact, southeast Queensland itself is one of the fastest growing proportionately regions in Australia of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. So we've got people from nations all across Australia living in urban areas. So while, you know, you might have this idea that, you know, to work with an Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander person, they might look this way or live this way. You might actually be looking at a patient might be Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander. One of your colleagues might be as well. Just mm. sort of um, shaking off those stereotypes and really being open to that. It can be an uncomfortable experience, but you know, actually it's an empowering one for yourself and also the people that you're working for and with. Mm. I'll work with you, Tracy, to, to um, include those resources that you've you're mentioning in, in our show notes okay as well that's no yeah. problem yeah, yeah no problem so there's there lots of literature mm-hmm. out there yeah i was going to yeah, say um, that'd be great to, to have some starting people. points for people yeah. yeah yeah i'll send some through thank you and what else do you think we can do as a profession then to support our first nations people of australia i think be a voice um as dietitians and nutritionists you know, we work in so many different areas. We've got so many opportunities to influence positive change on so many levels. Like you've got people who can work in aged care. You can people who work in sports, hospitals, you know, um, gyms, uh, childcare centres, schools. We work, you know, health promotion, public health. We can influence positive change on so many different areas and on so many different levels. We're also humans and we have families or we've got mothers and fathers, we might have children, we might have brothers and sisters, aunties and uncles, we can start having a conversation and, you know, being a voice, learning about the history of dispossession, you know, the impacts that has had, the ongoing impacts that that has had on on communities. It's not just a thing in the past. Some of these things are, you know, we were only decided to be not flora or fauna only five years before I was born. You know, these are very, very recent things that are happening and helping to develop that under deep understanding and also having a deep appreciation. You know, what we now call Australia is home to one of the oldest living cultures in the world. And with that culture who thrived prior to colonisation for the since millennia um, comes a wealth of knowledge that from everyone can learn from. Mm-hmm. You know, internationally, Indigenous knowledges have been recognised as, um, you know, have, you know, a massive potential to help the global scale reach um, the sustainable development goals, you know, as far as like looking after our environment and our food security, et cetera. So our food systems, et cetera, are quite powerful because, you know, it was known how to care for country. And to so it was it thrived and was able to fuel you. You weren't separate from it. So mm-hmm. 
I think understanding that and appreciating that and, you know, really valuing that I think is something that can be done. And, you know, because when you have that learning, then you can, you know, challenge and critique the discourse that is heard or read in the media. And we only make up three, roughly about 3% of the population in Australia. So in order for things to change, we need to, we need genuine allies to stand beside us to amplify mm. our voices. Yeah, most definitely. And it's mm. great that you're leading the voice, I think. So um, <laughs> you obviously have probably have had some challenges over your lifetime. Could you talk to me about what some of those are and maybe some opportunities that that also led to or some learnings for yourself personally? Yeah. Look, I think, you know, it's important for me to acknowledge that, you know, my privilege as a light skinned Aboriginal woman, you know, so with that, when I say that, you know, I haven't, I'm privileged to not have faced the racism that's been faced by many of my brothers, sisters, aunties and uncles who've got, you know, darker skin um, because there's that visual immediate stereotype that's put in place. However, I still have had to navigate the sometimes demoralizing and humiliating stereotypes that do exist. You know, for example, um, at university when I, you know, had my confirmation of Aboriginality come through, which was really important for me as, as a, for my cultural identity um, and myself, and then been asked by one of my peers, oh, well, you mustn't have to pay hex anymore then, which is mm. complete, you know, myth. Mm, mm. <laughs> I can print out a copy of my hex debt. It's mm. just as much as everybody else's. Mm. And, you know, having to sit in those in those situations at university when, you know, you've got the lecturers who are, you know, while you're a student, they're in the position of power and, you know, you've got your non-Indigenous lectures and speakers speaking on and about Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander health through a deficit lens, which then reduces me to a problem or a statistic, mm. um, you know, and having to have the courage to speak up and say, well, mm, I'm not sure about that. So, you know, and, and writing things that were in a different ways and being challenged on that. But it was it, those experiences really highlighted that need and I think sparked that interest for me to want to do the research. So I had, there was different um, rhetoric within the evidence, I suppose. Um, mm. I still remember during placement, <laughs> I, I was working in food services and um, one of the members of the team that I was working with was from um, Tasmania and they actually said the words uh, Aborigines are extinct in Tasmania and mm. that was awkward. <laughs> mm. So, you know, uh, and having to explain that, you know, using an acronym such as ATSI is actually disrespectful and dehumanising. But I think while those experiences have been uncomfortable, um, I've learnt how to communicate how they are disrespectful and harmful and dehumanising in a way that is um, with kindness, I suppose, um, and that doesn't make people feel threatened because when people feel unsafe or threatened, they're not going to be as open to the message. So mm. I think through those experiences, I've sort of um, understood that a lot of those come from a place of not understanding. So mm. we, you know, need to create a space where that understanding is is okay for people to step into. Mm. I'm very big on mentoring, and I know that you're obviously a mentor to a number of other younger dietitians. Yes. But have you had any mentors yourself that you know have been important mm. to you? Uh, look, you know, I've not in an official status, but 
uh, I think during university in my second year of, of uni, while I was navigating all these things, which was quite confronting in the first year, I applied to participate um, in Indigenous Allied Health Australia's Health Team Fusion Challenge. And what they do with Indigenous, well, it's called IAHAS, the acronym, they, they put teams of Indigenous allied health students together to work out how they can navigate a case as a multidisciplinary team. And then they compete and they, you know, have a winning, you know, a winning team gets an award, etc. But it's really great. The experience was great because, you know, at university, we sort of work and study and learn in silo disciplines, you know, like they're, it's very siloed. You don't sort of really get to work with a lot of the other disciplines to understand how you work together. So those experiences help to sort of us to understand how you work together to best meet your clients' needs. But it was then in that year that I also joined their um, student representative committee as their chair. I went on to be their student um, director and then a graduate director. And through that, I was so, so lucky to have so many amazing um mentors that were from all different disciplines and at all stages of their career that I could talk to and talk through some of the situations that I was, you know, navigating and how to develop a voice, I suppose, because prior to that, I, I don't think if I hadn't have gone through that experience, I wouldn't have had the courage to have the voice I have now. Mm. So I'm really lucky for that. And, you know, even now um, I've even got a few non-Indigenous um, informal mentors as well, like um, Fiona Sutherland from Mindful Dietitian, um, Robin, um, she's used to be at Vartu, she's now studying as well, she's at DA as well. I'm really very fortunate to have that and I'm very grateful and always try to make sure that the relationship's reciprocal so that I can share my knowledge and understandings as well. Mm, I think that's what's the most beneficial of a mentoring relationship. It's two-way, you both learn from each other. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, and it's, it's really, um, I think it's great that relationship to even when you're at uni or even after uni to have that because it, it sort of helps to balance out those, any usual imbalances or power imbalances. And it sort of gives you that confidence as a person mm. and a practitioner. Mm. What would be your advice then to um, Indigenous students or younger dietitians just beginning their studies or starting their career in dietetics? Yeah, look, I would, you know, for Aboriginal dietitians, students, I would say have a mentor, access your Indigenous services unit there, get all the support you have. You can access external tutoring if you need to and, you know, lean on your peers because some people have to relocate to go to universities. They're taken out of home. It can be quite, um, you know, scary when the first time and, you know, really connecting with your, um, you know, Indigenous services unit as well as any of the local Aboriginal medical services I think will help support you through that or groups. Mm -hmm. And for just any students in, in general, I think, one of the biggest things I would probably recommend would be to start doing your networking even while you're at university. Start doing your informal job searching even all the way through university. I know that, you know, when I joined up with IAHA and, um, you know, had that relationship, that's how I got my job with IUE because I met 
the people who were, you know, involved with IUE and I knew I wanted to work there and I just bugged them all the time until they gave me a job. (laughs) So, you know, but they got to know me through the years as well throughout uni. They knew where my passion lies. They knew my values. They knew the work that I did and they got to see that exemplified. So establishing those relationships and then demonstrating your value and your your values um, throughout, I think is really important. Yeah, that's my number one tip is to networking. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> bigger and broader 100%, as possible. Like, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And especially in this day and age because, you know, there's, there's – it's really hard to get it hard to get work so you have to be creative and if you're mm-hmm. really passionate about something really volunteer if you need to like all of my time that I was on the um, student rep committee and on the boards and everything like that it was all volunteer all my own mm-hmm. time and um, but you know it was I learned skills very valuable skills like leadership skills also great job skills but I also had those great connections and was able to demonstrate my value and my my work ethic, I suppose. Yeah, most definitely. Mm. And to end our conversational chat today, what are you most excited about for the future? Oh, you know what? I think um, given the current events and the Black Lives Mm. Matters movement, I'm really excited because of the interest that's been shown within that space and the people wanting to learn and to to know more and I think that's really exciting because you know they talk about um reconciliation you know but we need to understand fully what we're actually reconciling before we can reconcile and that requires people to to do the learning or you know the catchphrase at the moment is to do the work and I feel like people are really wanting to do that and it's it's awesome and exciting to see like my inboxes have been absolutely inundated with people wanting to know and to learn and understand, which is great. Um, it's actually highlighted to me that I'm at, <laughs> amongst everything I'm doing, um, I'm actually going to put together a webinar series myself to help mm. sort of share that learning and, mm. you know, help empower my peers within that space as well, because mm-hmm. that in the long run is going to, you know, positively impact mob. Um, yeah, I, I'm just, I'm really excited about where we're going and, you know, excited about people's interest in our traditional knowledges and our foods and our food systems and practices and, you know, having that humility to um, understand their value. Yeah, thank you. And please share that with us and we'll um, definitely share that with the Dietitian Connection community um, yes. whenever you've got that webinar series available. Yes. Um, but yeah. it, it's coming, it'll take a couple of months, but it'll be yes. here soon. <laughs> yeah. But, again, thank you for being so passionate and the leading voice in this, um, you know, space at the moment. We really appreciate oh. all of the – I know – a lot of this is in your own time. Um, so, yeah, we really appreciate all the time and effort that you're, you're doing at the moment also because I know you have been oh, inundated. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, though? It's, I, I, I do so because, you know, if I'm doing that, it makes positive change and hopefully we'll have more people in mm-hmm. there who can also have a voice. And, you yeah. know, it's, it's, I won't be the only voice for forever. <laughs> yeah. No, that's definitely the goal. And was there anything else that you wanted to end with, Tracy? Um, I think that's about all. Like, um, I just wanted to, you know, say thank you to everybody who 
chimed in today and had a listen. And also thank you to everyone who's reached out or are reaching out within their own ways to develop their learning. And, you know, it's, it might be uncomfortable, but that's okay. With discomfort comes growth and true reconciliation down the track. So just want to thanks every, thank everybody who is, you know, going on this journey. And also thank you to you, Marie, for actually inviting me on to have the use your, you know, utilize your platform, I suppose, to talk about this as well. It's, um, I'm really grateful for that. So thank you. An absolute pleasure, Tracy. It was lovely to hear more about your story and your passion and the work that you're doing with the First Nations people. So again, thank you mm. so much. You're welcome. <laughs> we look forward to you joining us on another Dietitian Connection podcast episode. Thanks for listening, wherever in the world you're tuning in from. If you did enjoy this podcast episode, we would really appreciate if you could leave a review for us. Leaving a review actually means the podcast gets to more dietitians and it can only elevate our profession if we work together. So please hit that review button. Tell us and other people what you thought about this episode. Another way to share your learnings from this episode and keep the conversation going is to take a screenshot of your phone screen, add your message and share it on social media. Don't forget to tag us at Dietitian Connection so we can share it with our following of over 30,000. Tell us what you learned and what future topics you'd like us to cover. If you'd like to access the show notes, they are available at dietitianconnection.com forward slash podcasts. Dietitian Connection is a global community and we offer free professional development, job opportunities, resources and connections. We're committed to bringing dietitians together so we can create more impact and elevate our profession. And you can easily become a Dietitian Connection member for free by signing up at dietitianconnection.com.